Well, if we haven't met, I'm Jose, and today happens to be what day of the year? September, September 11th, which in one level is just another, you know, September 10th, 11th, and 12th. But if you were around 15 years ago or old enough, you remember being born and raised in New York, 9-11 means something because my wife and I know people who are in the towers, and we have friends that are firefighters that still have lung issues. 15 years later, because they were first responders and inhaled all of the horrible dust when the towers collapsed. And so today's a day that we remember. Remember 9-11. That's a short phrase. But I think we'll all agree, if you're connected with the event, the short phrase evokes something. It stirs either sadness or courage, whatever it stirs. Sometimes short phrases Stir something. So 15 years ago an event happens and now we have a way to think about it. The reason I say that is we are in the beginning. It just happens to be today. We're in the beginning of a new series as a church. And if you've been here for a while, every fall we consider this the beginning of the year. And so we're looking this year about a phrase, stepping into a season of growth. And I want to qualify that today. And what we're going to do is over the next few weeks, if this is a church you're thinking about, or maybe this is where you, uh, you call this place home, this is your family. Every fall, we find it valuable to be reminded, why are we here? What are we doing? What's this all about? And as we've thought and prayed for months about, okay, God, we're coming into a new year. What would you have for us? We just all agreed as leaders that something's happening and we are stepping into a season of growth. Remember 9-11. It means something. Stepping into a season of growth, it means something. Now, let me tell you about another 9-11 event that's going to kind of lay out what I hope to do over the next few weeks. On September 11th, five years ago, something happened. Some of you were there. 250 people from the area around here came together in a room to pray about this church that was about to be planted. Us. Any of you there? On September 11th, five years ago, they've all, oh, one, great. The rest of you have left. <laughs> 250 people. See, you weren't, even, you weren't even here yet, but for a year prior to that, we've been talking and praying and thinking about a church in this part of the city. And on September 11th, five years ago, we didn't have a plan. We didn't have a building. We didn't have a launch date. We had no money. Nothing but a sense that God wanted to do something. So we invited people to pray. Had no idea if anyone would show up. 250 did. Then we prayed just once a month for months and months and months. And then when the time was right, in uh, Easter of the following year, we officially launched as a church. So the reason we do a vision series is to remind ourselves of what God did. You see, we started with an idea, a vision, if you would even use that phrase. And God in his goodness has shown us what this church is to be about. And so that's what we hope to do for the next few weeks. And then we're going to begin a longer study at the end of October that will take us for a long time. Now, if you're new, this phrase may be new. The rest of you, you should probably hear it again and again and again. What is the reason that we're here? We are here helping people experience life in Jesus. It's not just something that you put on a pen or throw on a screen, remember 9-11, short phrase, evoke something. And in the same way for us, helping people experience life in Jesus from day one, 
we're wondering, okay, does the world need another church? Does the city need another church? And the more we thought and prayed, the more we realized, well, actually, what God is doing is important, not just because of us, but God wants to partner with a group of people to help others experience life in him. So because there's so many people new to the church, and if you've been here this summer, so many people have been visiting, we thought, let's start with the basics of why we're here and our, our general call. That's the goal for today. So if you have your Bible, why don't you go to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, and we're going to start in verse 35. Because a phrase, helping people experience life in Jesus, seems kind of vague and like, well, isn't every Christian like after that? Yeah, in one sense, but we want to clarify what it means for us. So when I say we're stepping into a season of growth, I actually need to explain that. I say growth, most of us just think, well, that means more people, right? So you're saying we're going to grow. That's not what I mean. Or that means like, oh, we're going to raise money to do something. It's not what I mean. For us, growth means more, like more of it. So you're going to grow in your career, more responsibility. You're going to grow in your job, get more money. And that's okay. That's actually not what I mean by grow. Stepping into a season of growth means that we're hoping this year that we will push forward in living out what we're about to read, Matthew 9, 35 and following. We're going to spend three weeks on three verses to really get this in our soul. And every week, we're going to map out and apply. Here's how we're going to do this as a church. And then ask you to pray about what does this mean for your world. Make sense? That's what we're doing anyway, so just nod. All right. 9, 35. Here we go. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Verse 36. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I just want to read one more verse. There's an unfortunate chapter break. You know, or maybe you don't, chapters and verses weren't put into hundreds of years after the Bible was given as a practical tool to help people find their place. But when Matthew wrote this, there was no chapter and verse. So he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Immediately, Matthew continues, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Okay, that's where we want to be for three weeks. So let me just frame it out, though, because you may be new to reading Matthew. Four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four biographies of people who knew Jesus personally or close acquaintances with someone who walked with Jesus for three years. You want to know me, don't talk to me. Talk to my wife. Talk to my son who's here. Talk to someone I work with. Talk to my next door neighbor. You want to know me, ask a bunch of people about me. And if you listen to all four, you'll probably get a better view of who I am. In the same way, every gospel is about the same Jesus. And they don't contradict. They just shed light on different aspects. Now, why did Matthew write? Matthew wrote because Jesus is a Jew. And there was a Jewish expectation that God was going to send a deliverer to set the people free. The fancy word is that Jesus, that God was going to send a Messiah, a Savior. And so Matthew is writing, particularly to Jews, to 
to answer the question, because Jesus died, then nobody saw him anymore. Was Jesus, is Jesus, God's promised rescuer, Messiah, deliverer, Savior? And he writes with that in view. So he writes to a Jewish mindset. Why do I say that? Because everything he just said here may not make sense to us 2,000 years later. Totally get it. Every bit of it makes sense if you're a Jew. We're going to kind of get into that today. Now, how does Matthew do it? I'm going to give you a tip. Matthew frames what he's going to say. So hold your place here for a second. Just flip to the left a couple of chapters. Matthew 4, verse 23. Matthew 4, 23. You're going to read the same thing we just read. And it's not an accident. And Matthew's not having like a senior moment, right? It says, Jesus, Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And the news began to spread. Everything, these couple of pages in my Bible, everything between Matthew 4 and Matthew, end of Matthew 9, is amplifying that one phrase. They didn't have like fonts back in the day. I know a world with no fonts. They had no highlighter pens. So what do you do? You say something, you put a bunch in between, and then you say it again. And it, and it means everything between those statements is summarized by the one. So what do we want to see today? All I want us to see is the beginning of if we're going to be a Jesus church and we're going to help people experience life in Jesus and we're moving into a season of growth, what is growth? Growth is stepping into Jesus' life, teaching, and mission. So go back to Matthew 9, 35. All right, let's just, let's just now look at it. Because he's saying this is important. Jesus went through all the towns, villages. Jesus went, I'm starting with the obvious. We're going to start super slow, three weeks to build this out. Jesus went, that is, Jesus did not wait for people to come to him. By nature, Jesus moved. One translation puts it this way, Jesus went on tour. Could you imagine like his merch, the t-shirt, you know, the old school album cover? Jesus, Jesus moves, okay? We want to grow, stepping into a season of growth. What does that mean for us? If Jesus is going from place to place, that means we can't be satisfied with one place. We can't be satisfied with one group. We can't be satisfied with one thing. Jesus moves from place to place. Now, where does he go? It says he went throughout the towns and villages. He didn't just go to the big places. He went to the small ones. So if Jesus wants to do something in Portland, because we live here, right? What does that mean for us? It means that Jesus doesn't just nestle up in his little favorite cafe, whether it's Barista in the Pearl or Cova on the other side uh, of the river. He, he, goes from, so he goes all the way east to Gresham, and he goes all the way north, North Portland. He goes all the way up to Vancouver. It means that Jesus is actually concerned about South Portland, whether it's southeast or southwest, and he goes to, he goes to Lake Oswego and Tualatin and Sherwood, and he even travels all the way to Wilson Valley. So, so Jesus, if he's here, is not overly focused on one place. So if we're going to step into a season of growth, we need to think about more than just us. So I think if Jesus were here, he would do all that, and then he would come West, and he would end up in Hillsborough, and he would move and plant deep roots because now we have Top Golf, right? We got a baseball team. We got Top Golf. We got—is it called Top Golf? 
Yeah, whatever. I haven't been there yet. No one's been nice enough to send me a gift certificate. All right. So um, inception, I'm planting seeds. So Jesus went through all the towns and villages. And what does he do? Three things Jesus does. Look at this. It's right in the text. Teaching in their synagogues. He goes to where they are. Their place of connection with God. He finds them where they're at. And he teaches them. And he goes proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That sounds like lofty. It means inviting people to life in God. Jesus is always in tune with the Father, and wherever Jesus goes, he's inviting people. Hey, I was talking to the Father this morning. I only say what the Father speaks. I only do what the Father does. What Jesus does, he says, you, you're looking for God. Well, hey, God's looking for you. He wants to do life. Everyday life with God. Really connected. Really being led by God. So Jesus he teaches and then he invites. So it's not just about knowing more. Jesus says, you're welcome. He said, no, 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 but I got a sketchy past. You're welcome. Well, I, I'm not, I don't know a lot. You're welcome. Well, I'm not sure. You're welcome. And then the third thing is what freaks us out. Jesus proclaims the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. That's the one that scares most of us. Because where Jesus goes, real healing, real transformation, real change it happens. Now remember, we're thinking about what it means for us to help people experience life in Jesus. What I'm here to say is, when we think of the vision of a church, what's our vision? What's our direction? I'm not suggesting as a leader or as one of the elders, we go in a room and figure out, okay, here's the vision. That'd be foolish. Here's why. Jesus has already given us the vision for the church. It's our role, responsibility, and it kind of say, if this is your church, it's your role and responsibility to listen, press in, and listen to what God is saying in the moment about what he wants. If that's what he did, how does he want to do that here? So we've spent time listening, trying to get a sense, God, what do you want to do here? And then over the next few weeks, we want to call you to specific things that we think. We didn't make up the vision. We never make up the vision. All we do is hear it and share it and invite you to partner in it. Okay, so where did Jesus go? He went everywhere. Okay, what did Jesus do? He taught, he preached, and he healed. So the question is, what is it going to take for us to step into that? If following Jesus involves teaching that you know that you grow so that you can share, inviting, that's not just a smarter Christian, that you and your following of Jesus are living in a way and acting in a way that is calling people in. By your life, you're, you're saying life with God is better. You're welcome in. And that, here's a scary one, that through you, brokenness is healed. That very real shattered situations change because Jesus becomes present in their world. Not because you heal pe people, but because Jesus really changes everything. And he really brings wholeness and life to people. And that's what we're about. Okay, so what's it going to take to go in that direction? I want to focus on just one verse here, and we'll do the others um, the next couple of weeks. Verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had what? What's the word there? Compassion on them, because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What's compassion? Compassion, the very word, because our English, it doesn't mean the same thing that the original language Greek meant. Uh, compassion means from the inmost part. The word is splachnizomai. It 
you could say from the entrails, from the innards. The metaphor is like from the deepest gut, wherever you're deep. I don't know how, I'm not a biology specialist, but, and it's actually not biological. It's a metaphor from the deepest you. Compassion. So this is huge. And all I want you to get today is this. To step into a season of growth, to live out the call, to help people follow, uh, experience life in Jesus, requires that we grow first in care and concern at the deepest level. What's going to motivate you to do what's unpopular or costly or inconvenient? Because frankly, following Jesus is all of those things. What's going to call you to step out of your comfort zone and not be a weekend follower, but to be a day-by-day growing follower? Friends, it's compassion. This word compassion in the New Testament is almost always used of Jesus. So it's not like that every day, like everyone had, no, no. The Bible says Jesus is filled with compassion. And then when you read it written by Paul or others, it's always referring back to Jesus because Jesus feels in the entrails, in the deepest level, because Jesus is concerned from the gut, you too live that way. We need Jesus to deal with us at the deepest level, to feel deeply, to love deeply, to serve deeply. So we're not saying, today, we, we got to sign up at the welcome desk and do more, because God wants you to do more. Well, that would be awesome, but completely ineffective. I actually need to feel more if I'm ever going to do more for the kingdom of God. Now, I'll spell this out. Jesus is deeply moved by brokenness around him, and he does something about it. So compassion is to have pity or to feel at a deep level. But it's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion, like sadness and happiness and compassion. No, It begins at the deep level, but compassion to Jesus means that out of that inward groan, he does something. Last Sunday, I heard about a guy who's in this room, part of this church, who's dealing with cancer. And it was a surprise. Took him back. Now, the doctors did say this is not a horrific form, as if there's a better form. But his prognosis is good. I heard it last Sunday, and it punched me in the gut. You ever, ever happen, happen to you? Like you can read the headlines about all sorts of destructions, earthquakes, problems, everything in the world, shootings, and you don't even think about it. Then it happens to someone you know, and what, what happens? Like it hits you in the gut. That mode, and I have been praying for him. I didn't even tell him about it. I have been praying for him every day this week because something hit me like, that's my brother. Not biologically, but my brother in Jesus so compassion is felt within and always to Jesus lived out. Compassion doesn't stay in the heart. It shows up in the way we live. Now, in order to do that, I need to show you how Matthew describes compassion. So keep your finger there, but just go to the left two pages. Matthew 8, verse 1. I'm just going to look at a couple. What Matthew does is, remember Matthew 4? He gave you that statement. Jesus went. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 You get the Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus teach? Going from city and village, place to place, Jesus went teaching. Matthew tells us 5, 6, and 7, exactly what Jesus taught. But then he says he he healed everyone's disease. Matthew 8 and 9 
all Matthew does, and he doesn't do them in chronological order. Some of these events happened seemingly after this. But what Matthew does is looking at Jesus' whole life, he squeezes together in 8 and 9 all these back-to-back encounters where Jesus lives compassionately in the way he teaches and in the way he cares for people. So we're going to read rapid fire, Jesus living compassion. 8-1. When Matthew came down, um, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him, and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Stop. What's the first example we get after Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? The most extreme case. Leprosy, remember back in the 80s when they first started talking about HIV AIDS? Some of you were like 80s. Okay, just yeah, it was a decade. But when they first started talking about it, there was no medicine. They didn't even know how you contracted it, and everyone was freaked out. That's similar to leprosy. Leprosy was a social stigma. If you had leprosy, you moved out of town because people could contract it as well. And in Jewish theology, leprosy was a sign of God's judgment. So they wouldn't point the finger, but they would say, you know, if he's got it, there must be something we don't know about. So you're an outcast. The outcast comes to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is known to be this miracle worker. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 3, Jesus reached out his phone and FaceTimed him from a distance, right? No, what does it say? Jesus reached out his hand and did what? He touched him. And touching the man said, I am willing, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy and everyone is in awe. Matthew gives us the extreme example first. Here's why. You want to know what compassion is? It's not just about helping the person that looks like you, smells like you, acts like you, talks like you. Compassion is when you and I are willing to get out of our total comfort zone because deep within, brokenness is brokenness no matter who is broken. And I don't just look to the person who's like me and I'm going to get something from. I find the least person who in God's sight is loved as well. First example you get off the bat, compassion. And he says he touches him huge. No one else is touching a leper. Compassion means we don't do what everyone else does. And can I just remind you, in our culture today, there are leprosy kind of things. Things that someone has, does, is, and everyone excludes them, but the person who loves Jesus touches them. What do we see next? Verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, should I come and heal him? Trick question from Jesus. First example, leprosy, social stigma. Second example, you got to know this. At the time, Israel is run by Rome. This is a Roman centurion. Roman centurion. Imagine, we can't even fathom this because we haven't been occupied Imagine America was invaded by a fierce enemy, taken over, and then we're not free the way we used to be, and the soldier of the enemy says, will you come help me out? We get the extreme example. 
as a Jewish leader, he didn't, have to, he didn't have to help the centurion at all. It doesn't say whether he was Jewish or not. My guess is he probably has a love for God and a respect for the Jewish faith because he comes to a Jewish teacher, but it doesn't say he's a synagogue follower or anything. Look, jump down to verse 13. Look, look at what compassion was like. Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done to you just as you believe it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Leper, compassion, touches him. The Roman centurion says, I don't even need you to come to my house. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a leader, you're a leader. All you have to do is say that he's healed and he's healed. And Jesus says, whoa, yeah, I'm for you. Compassion means we go to the person that we normally wouldn't connect with, and in God's love, we see healing come. But look at verse 14, chapter 8. Again, it, it keeps going. Jesus came to Peter's house, and now is one of his disciples. He saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever, and he touched her hand. The fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. Three different examples. Leper, outcast, healed. Centurion, maybe not even a God follower the way they are. Servant, healed. Now Jesus with one of his disciples, Peter. Mother-in-law is sick at home and she's healed. And then when the evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and he healed all of the sick. I could go through literally every text in chapter 8 and 9 and it's going to point to the same thing. Let me show you the progression. There's brokenness somewhere, right? That person turns to Jesus for help. Jesus is filled with compassion deep within. Compassion leads to action. Jesus does something, says something, touches whatever, and healing comes. Brokenness, Jesus, compassion, action, and healing. And my friends, if you want to know how God wants to grow us in this season is what we're going to see next week as we read chapter 10, verse 1. He brings disciples to himself and says, I want you to do what I've been doing. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to ask, and I'm going to have to ask, in what way is Jesus calling me to grow and taking the brokenness that's all around us in our life? Remember, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And so when we come to this gathering, we're not assuming everyone's all right because <laughs> we're jacked up, all of us. Inside of here, outside of here, God follower, not God follower. We don't know. God wants to bring his wholeness to everybody, feeling and then action and then healing. Now, some of you are like, that's great, but that's Jesus, man. You said, Jose, every time the word compassion is used, it's about Jesus. So the question is, how does Jesus, what motivates Jesus to display compassion? Matthew actually tells us. Look at chapter 9. Well, the rest of the examples, read on your own. Chapter 9, verse 36. We read it right at the beginning. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, and now the phrase, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed, you could say weary. They were really tired. Uh, and helpless, you could say they were thrown down or broken down. Weary, broken down. When Jesus sees people, you know, you know how compassion leads into action? He sees people for how they really are. Question, which version of you are you showing me right now? 
because there's, there's way more than one version. You'd all be in your PJs or whatever. Like, you got dressed with different clothes and you woke up with, I'm assuming, because when you were going out in public, you thought maybe I'll, I'll present myself better. Today's Sunday face. You, have, you know, Sunday, you know, following Jesus' face, right? And then there's, then there's you at work. And there's you when no one's watching. And then there's you when you're in your neighborhood. There's, all of you, there's, none, there's only one you, but you display different versions. Now, Jesus, what moves him is he's able to see people as the Father sees them. To get past the facade and to see brokenness for what it is. Now, there's a couple of phrases here I want to see. Sheep and shepherd. Because he, he sees them like sheep without a shepherd. Now, now, a little quote on sheep because I'm not agrarian by nature. I'm a city kid. Sheep are defenseless animals. I kind of figured that one out. But without a shepherd, they're vulnerable to any attack. Even without predators, this is something I didn't know, they're in trouble if they have no shepherd for they're not good foragers. They're, they're not good at finding a new place to eat. They actually need help to get from place to place. Now goats, for those of you goat lovers, manage very well by themselves, but sheep do not. Sheep without a shepherd points to people who are in great danger and without the resources to escape from it. The analogy, words matter, sheep-shepherd metaphor is, is reminding us that people, even though they seem self-sufficient, they're doing well, they're successful, they're educated, uh, they've got money in the account, they've got a boat, they have a second house, they have way more fun than we do. At the most real level, everyone is a sheep who needs a shepherd. All I have to do, I'm assuming you're one, say you're one of those, I'm not sure, sure about God, I don't really need anyone to lead me. I can lead my life well, thank you very much. Don't tell me I need God. All I need to do is touch your bank account, which I'm, I'm not that creeper. I, I, I'm not going to, but all I need to do is touch you with an illness. All I need to do is scramble a little bit of your brain and cause your memory to lapse a little bit, which sometimes happens. A little mental trouble, a little physical trouble, a little bank trouble, and guess what? You will quickly descend all of us are in a fragile spot, educated or not, wealthy, successful or not. We need God. And Jesus, here's the good news. People don't realize that. Portlanders don't realize that. But Jesus knows that. What motivates him is he sees past the facade and he knows what people really are and what they really need. So we want to grow and ask God to grow us in getting a better glimpse of who people are. We are around people every day. The question is, do we see them as God really sees them? What God wants to do is grow us so that their area of brokenness can move to wholeness because God is going to use us internally with compassion that leads to action and God will bring healing. We just believe that God wants us to grow in this. Now, there's another picture here that because we're not Jewish, most of us, I'm not, we miss sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw them like sheep without a shepherd. What Matthew's doing is he's actually quoting God. God speaks through a prophet, Ezekiel. We're not going to go there for time. But Ezekiel, chapter 34, I know you knew this by heart. I know you were quoting Ezekiel this morning. I totally get you. 
No. Ezekiel 34, though, God speaks to the prophet in a time of brokenness. Israel had been sinning so much, God said, I'm warning you, warning you, warning you. If you don't come back to life with me, I'm going to give you exactly what you want. You want life without me? Great. I'm going to give it to you. And God, all God does is pull his hand of protection on them, and Israel as a nation is totally destroyed. Babylonians come in, in real, like, it's real history. Come in, smash the temple, destroy the people, make them slaves, send them out to Babylon in shame and suffering. Ezekiel sees all of it. And, God, and they're like, where's God? God simply said, you don't want me. I'll like take my hand off of you. And look at what you get. Because you just don't, you don't recognize that you need a shepherd. Look at what God says, Ezekiel 34. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep. And look after them. They're in the middle of hell on earth. As a shepherd looks after the scattered flock, when he's with them, so I will look after my sheep. I'll rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. Day of clouds and darkness is when when the Babylonians came in and literally set Jerusalem on fire. The city burned to the ground. And he says... I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I'll bring them into their own land. I myself will tend my sheep and I'll have them lie down. It's not like submission. It's like a chokehold move. It's lie down as they are going to be guided by me. Notice what God says is I'm going to come and I'm going to be with them. I'm going to love them. You know what Matthew is saying? Chapter 8 and 9, seeing what Jesus has done Is Ezekiel 34 answered? Jesus is the one that has come. God has come and says, I will be with my people and I will shepherd my people. I'll guide my people. I'll lead my people. Jesus is the good shepherd. We're going to see that again all throughout the Gospels. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, some of you say, well, what what in the world does that have to do with me and being compassionate. Compassion is what motivates Jesus to bring people who are broken and lost and hurting into the presence of God so that God would make them whole. And in the same way, my friend, what we believe God wants to do in you and me is to work through us from the gut, from like deep within, that God would so stir me I'm not suggesting that doing more is going to make God happy. I am saying that when you get God's heart, when you actually connect with God more really, when you begin to see people as he sees them, when he gives you a little hint of his love for people, it will propel you to step into broken situations and say, you know what, right now it's shattered. But if you allow God in, he will turn it around. And what we want to see is a city, not just Hillsborough, hear me, not just this part of the city. We want to see the whole of the city. We want to see more than our city. We want to grow in God using all of us everywhere so that more people will experience life in him. Now, How do we live this out? This is like the rubber meets the road part of this. That's all theory. 
if we're going to grow in compassion, here's where we need to check ourselves. Let me just ask you this. Jesus is available. Are we? Are you? What does it take to become more useful, to become more in tune with what God is doing? Jesus seems to be available. Now, mind you, he's in the crowds and people want to follow him and he had his fan club and all of that. But you never see Jesus too busy for people, do you? As a matter of fact, if you read chapter 9, there's a woman who's hearing someone else that is calling on Jesus for healing and she reaches out and grabs his, his coat, believing if I just touch the edge of his coat, I'll, I'll be healed too. And Jesus stops the crowd and says, who touched me? Jesus always has time for people. If we're going to be used by God, if we're going to step into a season of growth, let me just ask you, are you even willing to make yourself more available? Because compassion requires when we see brokenness and hear brokenness that we actually do something. It's the challenge of our day. We have vehicles that are designed to keep people out, right? Our houses are made to keep people out out. Most people don't even put their name on, on there because they want to know who you are. Most, most people include an alarm system. Most of us, not everyone, but if you have a garage, you have an opener so that you can go from your enclosed vehicle into your enclosed room and shut the door and to just do life. Now, I'm not pointing the finger. I need, I need to decompress like anybody else. But our system is designed to, in business, it's happening. More companies are charging for a live person. Go to our app, go to our page, tweet, Facebook, but, but physical interaction. Our whole society, okay, just do this. Have a 30-minute meal where no one picks up their phone to interact with someone who's not even there. Think about this. In our home, we made it a rule. There's no phones at the table. Your phones are removed. Phone rings, who cares? The phones aren't at the table. Why? Because we're, we're eating. <laughs> you know what's weird? That that statement is weird. Our culture is dehumanizing. And I'm not, I'm not against the culture. I'm just saying the culture is not like Jesus. But what would happen? Here, here, Jesus breaks in. He's unlike any other Jew. Jesus breaks in. He's unlike any other teacher. Jesus breaks in. He's unlike anyone. And what made the crowds so compelled to walk to the point of starvation, because Jesus had to feed people twice, because they went and listened to him and they didn't bring food, was Jesus' radical love and compassion so compelled people. He lived so differently. He didn't just talk differently. He lived differently. And my friend, if we're going to see people experience life in Jesus, something's going to happen, have to happen to us. So to help people, we need to step into their story. That's the bottom line. In order to help people, we need to, we need to be where they're at and walk through life with And friend, that sounds easy to say. That's just hard to do. Because when you already have a job, you already have relational responsibilities, and you already have pressure, and you're already dealing with your own junk, who has time for anybody else? What would happen if we went countercultural and said, because we follow Jesus, we actually are going to allow ourselves to feel 
And those feelings are going to drive us to a different way of living. And that different way of living will produce wholeness and healing to other people. What if we actually, what if this wasn't a sermon, but like our way of life? Now, how do you live that out? Man, I have no idea. The Spirit of God is going to have to get a hold of you and get a hold of me. To, but I, I can say what we're going to do as a community. So we're getting down to the, like every week, weekend is going to go rubber meets the road. What are we going to do as a community to live this way out? We're going to continue. We decided as, as elders, as leaders, we're going to continue our first Sunday gathering every month throughout the year. Some of you are new here, just checking it out. This, this summer we started an experiment. To, we have three gatherings on a Sunday, collapse them all into one, and to have a meal together. Why? Because we feel like if you're in a family, your family should see each other. I'm a part of an extended family. I have an immediate family. I don't see my extended family all the time, but I do make like plans to be with them. So in the same way, church, you're a part of hundreds and hundreds of people that are here all Sunday. You can't know them all. That's impossible. So you're probably a part of a smaller group. We call them communities here, formal, informal. You know a few people, right? But still, we're, we're connected to Jesus together. So it was an immediate hit and problem at the same time. I'll tell you about first Sunday. A hit because it's wonderful to have everyone together. And when someone's cooking, like, pulled pork to the glory of God, I'm, like, I'm there. Like, I'm, I'm committed to church, right? That's great, but it's a summer thing. There were people this summer that met people who go to this church who didn't realize they went to this church because they never were at the same gathering. We're committed to say, okay, in order to be compassionate, we actually have to see each other from time to time. In order to do that, we're going to do all year round, first Sunday of every month from now on, we will do one gathering together. We'll do bread and cup. We'll do baptisms. Now, away from the summer, we're not going to cook a full meal because we're not going to cook outside in dark and dreary raininess, which is coming, warning. And, and it's impossible space-wise when the weather is not good. But what we're going to invite you to do is first Sunday, we moved it from 11, we'll remind you in our weekly, to 10 o'clock because we have tons of families with smaller kids. And 10 o'clock is better for a mom juggling a baby. And I'm always with the mom juggling a baby over the rest of you. No offense. But we believe in kids. We love kids. Keep reproducing. We love it. And we're going to make it easier for our younger, if you're married. Okay, just, just disclaimer. <laughs> Some of you are like, he. Anyway, another discipleship issue. But we're going to continue first Sunday. So 10 o'clock. We're also going to do it. We've had all of the kids in the gathering on first Sunday. And it's been good for families to be together. But to do this year round, we're starting in a couple of months, first Sunday kids. So all of our school age kids up to middle school, there will be an option. If you're a parent, say, I want my kids with me. I want them to experience this. You totally can do it. For those who say, it's more helpful. I've got four kids, different ages. I don't have enough technology to keep them busy. Um, we totally get that. There's going to be a first Sunday gathering for kids in that other room. It's going to be at their level, and they're going to be doing life like us, but a little more age-appropriate and throwing balls on occasion. But that's another story. So we will have that. So that's what we're doing as a, as a church. But let's, let's get back. Now, somebody said, like, you're going, to, you're going to mess up the schedule every month? Like, from a logistics standpoint, this is a dumb idea. But yeah. Because we're not here to create 9 a.m. gathering followers of Jesus, 11 a.m., 6 p.m. We're not defined by this building. We're not defined by a time slot. 
We are defined by Jesus. And if Jesus takes the time to be with people, we are going to take the time to be with people. So I'm encouraging you, every first Sunday, we're going to have a gathering at 10. It will end by 11.15 to 11.20. And then I'm asking you to take someone to lunch. That's how we're going to do it. Take someone to lunch. You say, well, I don't have the money. Make something at home. Crock pot soup. Do something and every month have someone in your home after the gathering as a way of showing compassion. Maybe that extra 20 minutes having a meal together could be life-changing for them. Chances are it will be life-changing for you. So we're going to grow in compassion. But back to us and back to where we respond to Jesus. Two questions that I want to drive the rest of our time together as we transition to sing and to worship. Number one, where do you need to grow? If we're stepping into a season of growth, I've been focusing on compassion. This morning, every week we'll look at some other aspect of Jesus. But maybe, maybe as I was saying compassion, God was stirring something in you. Maybe it was pride. Maybe it was laziness. Maybe it was whatever. Let's start there. This morning, the funny thing is whenever you teach I get feedback from people who say, man, you were talking about this and that really hit me. And I sometimes chuckle because like, actually, that's not what I meant. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit of God somehow took a phrase I said. I didn't even mean it that way. And to them, it became truth. And God does it all the time. So maybe, maybe when you walked in, maybe for the last six months, God's been nudging you. Jose, I want you to grow in this area and I'm going to grow you. Today, as we respond in worship, would you say yes to that? Rather than fighting God, why don't you partner with him and allow him to live his life through you? And then the second thing, and a little more specific, is where do you need Jesus' touch right now? Jesus touches the leper. Jesus touches the centurion. Jesus touches the mother-in-law. Jesus healed many who had all sorts of issues. It doesn't have to be physical. I want to remind you that compassion is is that we feel what you're feeling. Now, I can't identify with everything, but I say, you know what? We're here, and Jesus is here, and we know one thing triggered all of the healing in in chapter 8 and 9. It's one thing. Every one of them turned to Jesus for help, and Jesus met them where they're at. Sometimes he didn't didn't go with him. He just spoke it and it happened. Could it be that Jesus wants to use ordinary people like us? And if you're struggling with anything this morning, whether it's on the job or in the home, whatever it is, you say, you know what? I really, I'm inviting Jesus to step into it. I'm going to ask you to do something about it. All of them approached Jesus. Well, Jesus is here, but like, how do we actually connect with them? The scriptures are real clear. Pray for one another. So in response, in a moment, we're going to go to the bread and the cup, and the band's going to even come now, and we're going to open up the table. And here's what we want you to do. Some of our leaders, some of you are here now, our elders, our deacons, our community leaders, uh, some of you knew in advance, I forgot to send the email. Oops, my bad. But work with me. I'm just going to invite them to go in the back, them and their spouse, go in the back, and they're going to hang along that back wall, right? And when people go to grab the bread and cup, everyone's moving anyway. Just before going to grab the bread and the cup, just slip to the back and introduce yourself. 
This is not Jesus, but this person is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and following Jesus. So in a very real sense, what we're going to learn in the next couple of weeks is Jesus says, there's more need than I can deal with myself. Disciples, you partner with me. I'm sending you out. You go do it too. And they did. And the same way we want to build a culture of compassion. Compassion means I take time for you. We're going to have some friends in the back. Not, no, nothing to judge. This isn't a counseling session. Hey, would you pray for my family? Would you pray for my need? Would you pray for my home? As simple as that. And they want to pray the life of God for you. Do that as a step of faith and an act of worship. Make sense? All right, why don't you stand up together? Let's pray. And then we're going to send you. Once I'm done praying, the tables are open. Grab the bread and the cup. Slip to the back. Some friends will be able to be there and pray for you. Even friends now. If I mentioned you, elders, deacons, community leaders, just go to the back now and uh, be ready to receive people. Lord, we love you. We're grateful that you always made time for those who were calling on your name, and now we do, we do just that. We're going to walk and grab the bread and the cup, remind ourselves of your love demonstrated in your sacrifice of yourself to pay for every one of our sins and to heal all of our brokenness in full. And Jesus, by faith, we're going to step out and reach out to a brother and sister. Lord, I pray that even as people interact towards the back and speak things that are dear to people's hearts, that your healing would come in all of its forms, Lord, physical and emotional and financial and relational and everything in between. God, meet us at our deepest level. Show your compassionate love, we pray. In Jesus' name.